Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. We are here today with a very special friend. His name is Brian. We don't do we need to say your last name. I don't know how to pronounce your last name if I tried. What is it? Wizenant. Wizenant. That's good. Wizenant. Okay. Yes. Uh, we are on my podcast. This is a recovery podcast where we talk about all things recovery or lack thereof. <laughs> uh, our topic today is drug addiction in the LGBT. Q, what else is there? There's additional letters. I say LGBTQ or LGBTQIA+. What's the IA+. Plus? Intersex, asexual, and plus. And plus. Okay. And usually when we do this podcast, we like to delve deep into your past and see where you're from, where you were born, where you're from, where you were raised. And then we get into the other stuff, the addiction, the alcoholism. And after that, the recovery. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, um, Brian, who are you? I am Brian. Okay. Wizenant. Born in? Mississippi. Mississippi. Okay. Corinth. Corinth, Mississippi. Corinth, Mississippi. The great metropolis. <laughs> Why is that? It's very small. I mean, it's not, I think it's like population 10,000. Okay. That's, yeah. that's a small town. Everybody yeah. is open. Everybody's business. Oh, yes. Okay. I go home for Christmas and I would have lunch with someone or dinner with someone. And my parents would know who I was with before I told them. Small town. Yes, small town. Okay, and growing up in Mississippi, well, what was it like? You know, it was, I think I blocked out a lot of the bad. Okay. Because for a long time, I just, I had a really great childhood. So you had a happy childhood. Yeah. I was popular at school. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad, you know, they did their best. It wasn't always great. I mean, there was a lot, a lot of trauma that happened to me when I was young. At a very young age? At a very, 15, around 15. Okay. Did you have any siblings? Yes. Older sister, Renee. Six years older. Close with her? You know, we are close. I mean, we, it was hard being six years apart mm -hmm. because I was at an age where I really, you know, we are close. I mean, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> we, I, you know, I, I would like get into her stuff and I would pick on her and I think I just wanted her to like really like me, <laughs> but yeah. How old was she? So she's six years older. Six years older. Yeah. So like growing up, like when I was in middle school, she would have been just going to college, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, um, so when you say that there was trauma that happened when you were 50, are you open to talking about? Yeah, story? let's do right. it. When you say there was trauma and you say that you, you uh, blocked things out, like the memories and things like that. Is yeah. that pre like the trauma is what caused you to block things out afterwards? Because you said you had a happy childhood. I think so. I think so. I So when I was 15, um, you know, I knew I was gay. Okay. I knew I was gay. At 15 or even earlier? Earlier. Okay. Like how earlier? So I think I was around 12 mm -hmm. and uh, it was a Sears catalog experience. Does anyone even know what a Sears catalog <laughs> is? Explain. So I, we used to have these books that were, <laughs> instead of the internet, yeah. we had these books where okay. you could buy things called catalogs. Right. And I would go to my cousins and, you know, you go to the restroom and we'd have things. We used to not have smartphones. So you read catalogs, actual magazines, actual magazines. Yes. And there it would, I would look into the, in the men's underwear section. Okay. And I went back and noticed it opened immediately to that section. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew, I think I was around 12. Okay. Like I knew 
when it opened straight there that mm -hmm. I was attracted to men. At the age of 12? At the age of 12. Okay. And so I remember then immediately thinking that was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember necessarily being told it was wrong, even though I do remember at my church, they would talk, they would preach against homosexuality. Mm -hmm. um, I was going so, to ask that you, if you lived in uh, Mississippi, yeah, this is somewhat of the Bible belt. Right? Yes. And I don't even know that they preach like that anymore, but back then it was, you know, it was, it was pop against pop music. I mean, I can't tell you how many times they told me not to listen to Madonna mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, being gay was a sin. Right. So I like when I, I remember immediately turning to the women's section mm -hmm. and like trying to press it open. So I, no one would know right. that I had done that. So with that said, <laughs> did you like growing up and all, um, did you ever date women? You know, I did. Okay. Now this is interesting. I don't talk about this a lot. Right. I had a girlfriend in high school. And what was interesting is when I was fully out, she was a makeup artist mm -hmm. at the university where I was studying acting and she had to do my makeup. And it was a real, uh, talk about the show must go on. Right. There was tension because I mean, I wasn't, <laughs> I guess she was my beard. She was my beard. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a, re a, re a relationship in college, my sophomore year of college after I was out, mm -hmm. I fell in love with a, with a woman. And I never talk about this. Wait, so let me get this straight. Yeah. In high school, this, there was a relationship with a girl or just in college? In high school. In high school with the girl that was doing your makeup? Yeah, later. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean later? So she did my makeup in college. Oh, oh later. Okay. Yeah, I was, yeah. But the relationship that was in high school, because you said you knew you were gay. So yeah. why did you uh, have a relationship with a woman? Was it because you were still not completely sure of your identity or what you really want to do? Or was you, were you trying to uh, please the family? Well, it ties into my trauma. So uh -huh. this let it out of the back. So okay. when I was 15, um, I was groomed by an older guy mm -hmm. in, in the theater department, mm -hmm. the theater department, the local theater. Mm -hmm. And I was molested mm -hmm. and raped. Okay. And so at uh, 15? at 15, 16, 17. By that man. Yes. Okay. And uh, I, I thought I was in a relationship with him. Uh -huh. It was, and now that I, I work with people who experience this, it's really fascinating to see mm -hmm. um, where I was wrong, <laughs> but I was a child. Right. I was a child. And so around that time, he was also dating, dating. He was with, many other guys my age and also some women and uh so i thought what i needed to do was also be with a woman like i understand okay yeah it was this weird like i didn't say oh i need to be i need to appear straight mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i really liked her we had a, right, right. we had a good time right and also here's a deep dark secret she had a car so i didn't have to ride the bus home hmm. interesting well there you go I didn't know. Of you course, I, of course, I would become an addict because you know I'm taking advantage of someone for a ride. <laughs> we call that enabling. Sure, sure. <laughs> or using, using, using. Yeah, yes, yeah, using. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. so it's interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of my gay friends, when I ask them, like, "Have you ever been with a woman?" Mm -hmm. They say yes, yeah. but they also say, "Well, not all." all, all some of them, right? Mm -hmm. They say yes, but they say 
something along the lines of this is the worst experience they ever had or when it came down to sex mm-hmm. like that they're like Ew. okay so i oh my gosh <laughs> thank god my parents on y'all cannot talk to my mother about this okay <laughs> none of it um so i i fell in love yeah. with a woman at 19 same one um, different woman she was a uh, mormon okay and uh, I told her. I mean, in Mississippi? Mississippi? Yeah. There's Mormons there? Yes. Okay. So I uh, had told her, I said, look, I'm, I've been with men. This Because I had was beginning to really accept who I was. Mm-hmm. But I fell in love with her. I was attracted to her. Right. And we kissed, and but we didn't go all the way. Okay. Because she was Mormon. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, for all I know, it could have been a safe You probably would have had to marry her. In, in yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Did you want it to? Do- yes. Oh, wow. I was in love with her. Wow. And it wasn't until, um, and today I don't care what people believe, but like I, there were some things about the church I couldn't really get behind. And you know, there was it, it, our, the reason we broke up is a good story. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about my dreams of being an actor right. and how I would be comfortable being naked on stage or doing anything on stage. Mm-hmm. And she goes, how can I explain to my children that you are naked on stage? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how are you going to explain to them that I used to sleep with men? Oh my God. We broke up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we yes. broke up. But, um, but then, you know, I, I had sex with a couple of other girls too. Wow. My choice, and I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. I know. I know that breaks the mold. It, well, it depends. Maybe I'm a five on the Kinsey scale, not a six. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so when you now you said growing up there, you'd go to church, right? Yes. This yeah. is from a very young, like from childhood. Yeah, I remember going to church mm-hmm. from childhood, and all throughout your adolescence too. Yes, I stopped going in high school, and I remember very vividly two things that happened. My do- our dog died, and I remember asking if my dog would go to heaven, mm-hmm. and they were like, "No, dogs don't go to heaven." I was like, "I can't get behind this." <laughs> I'm like, "In my re- my religion, dogs go to heaven." Right. And then uh, it was honestly the pop music thing. I remember very vividly the pastor going on a rant against like. Even the, Debbie Gibson. I remember him just saying, the music. I was just like, what is, what am I doing here? Like, is this what we're doing? So I got up and left church and I really didn't go back for a long time. Now, uh, okay. Did they like straight up say that homosexuality is a sin in yes, church? back then. Okay. And when you would sit there, like already feeling like knowing that you're gay, did you think I'm a sinner or did you think they don't know what they're talking about? Or this is wrong. Oh, was that another reason of why you didn't follow what the church, what the church was professing? I think I thought I was a sinner you thought in you the beginning. Sin- you felt and I sin- was also, and talk about messy. Mm-hmm. I would tell my parents I was going to church mm-hmm. when I was going to that guy's house. Mm-hmm. So like I was supposed to be at church when I'm at this guy's house. Lots to unravel there mm-hmm. when I got clean, and yeah, and then I along the way, like once I got to college, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, there is nothing wrong with me. Okay, for being gay, I found a lot of other things I didn't that like wrong. about myself. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you. So hold on, somebody just asked. So mm-hmm. are you both not straight men, or just one? Of, well, I'm straight. He's- well, clearly, I'm bisexual. No, I'm gay. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm a gay man. Okay. Now, uh, Jamie says hello, by the way, Jamie Holland. Oh my God, Jamie Holland. I love you. I love you. Um, Don't so tell my mama what I just said, okay? <laughs> I'm counting on you, Jamie. <laughs> so with all of these, with all this experimentation and, mm -hmm. and finding your own identity throughout your adolescence and all that, uh, were booze ever in the mix or was any drugs? Did you Had you started doing any of that like at a younger age? Not really. Not at all? Yeah, I think, uh, I think about that a lot. Like I... I don't know if I've ever told you the story about my senior year, right before, like the the last night before our first day of senior year, mm -hmm. all my closest friends got arrested. Hmm. They were like out being a complete mess. And I saw my best friend from high school years later and I asked him, I said, was that a thing you all did? And he's like, yes, Brian, we did that all the time. We just only got caught that night. And I said, well, why didn't you include me? And he said, because you never would have done it. Huh. You were a goody two-shoes. You would never drank. You they never... thought you were straight edge. Yes. Yeah. yeah my. Uh, why is that? Is that the vibe you put I guess off? I was. You, I mean, you were. You hadn't done anything. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had had like four wine coolers once. And then I got drunk one more time up until I think I was 19 or 20. Mm -hmm. I, I drank twice. Okay. Yeah. So I had... Yeah, no, no, none. So wh when did it happen? When you went to college? Yeah, so when I went to college, I remember it was like a bad... You went to college to become an actor. Yes. Your dream was to become an actor and come yeah. to California, to L.A.? Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, I was. I always wanted to be in L.A., but I went to New York. <laughs> I don't know why. I thought I could make it As on Broadway. As an actor? Yeah. I thought if I made it on Broadway, then I could transition to film. Did you... Were you in, involved in theater throughout high school? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was in theater, especially. I was in theater too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I loved it. But I love it too. I, I miss it. Yes. I miss it so much. Yes. And uh, yeah, I uh, I remember being at this theater party mm -hmm. in college. My Because I went to community college first, and then I was a vocal performance major. And then I transferred and became a theater major. Mm -hmm. And I remember being at this party, like bad, I'm telling you, bad ABC afternoon special <laughs> where the guy was like, do you want some, do you want some booze? And I'm like, uh, and he goes, are you going to be cool? Or are you going to be lame? I said, well, I'm going to be cool. So I started drinking and mm -hmm. it was a talk about progression, mm -hmm. slow, but really slow. And I, I didn't do much more than anyone else did that I thought. I mean, we were doing like acid and ecstasy. And all Just those co college stuff. Party like drugs in college. college experimental party drugs. drugs. And, yeah. And I managed to have very few consequences until I ended up not graduating college. But was it because of the drugs? I or the alcohol? Uh, was in a relationship mm -hmm. and I started skipping classes and we were, was it because of the drugs? It might have been because of the man. How far did you get into college until this type of stuff was happening where the relationship and the very last semester, actually. I so you were far. in there for what, three five years? years. Five I was years. in college five years. Yeah. Because I changed my major. I had to stay. I had an extra year. Changed your major to what? So I was started off in vocal and piano performance mm -hmm. and then I changed to acting. Acting. Yeah. And I mean, until did the... Did you tank it? Like, was there... No. I mean, I even walked you the walked. highest honors. You did? Okay. I, I moved to New York for my first acting job, and I get a call from mom and dad. Mm -hmm. um, your grades just arrived. I'm like, and? They're like, you have two, a D and an F. Oh. 
you were in college and your parents were getting your credit, your, your, your yeah, permanent address, you know, okay. permanent address, report cards. Yeah. Permanent address. Okay. So, so they, and they opened my mail. Oh. Yeah. So I, it took me until 2006, seven years later, I finally got my degree. During the time that you were there, when did your parents find out that you were gay? I was, it was 1999, no, mm -hmm. 2000, so uh -huh. 20, 21 years ago. Okay. I was 24 mm -hmm. and I swore I would never tell them. Uh, why not? I think because I was afraid. Okay. And then when, how did they find out? So I always said to all my friends who were like, oh, you should come. Because I was out to them. I said, I will never come out to my mother and dad. Mm -hmm. They will never support me. Um, so we're just going to not worry about it. And plus, I didn't think I'd be in a relationship because right. nothing meant more to me than my acting career. Mm -hmm. So I honestly was like, my career comes first, always. And so not that there weren't men here and there, right. <laughs> but a relationship is a different thing. So I said, unless I'm in a relationship or they ask, I'm never going to tell. And so I was doing a tour mm -hmm. based in Omaha, Nebraska, and my parents had come to visit and the guy I was living with was gay. Mm -hmm. And my mom- Was it a, a boyfriend? No, no. It was a roommate? It was a roommate. He yeah. just was gay. You weren't in a yeah. relationship with him. No relationship. Okay. And my mom, after they went back to Mississippi, called me mm -hmm. and I was getting ready to go do the show. Like literally right. I was getting ready to do the show and mom called. She goes, I'm uncomfortable with your roommate. I'm like, why? She goes, because you're going to get AIDS from him. I said, mom, you don't, how? Mm -hmm. And you know, back then everyone in Mississippi is a little behind, but right. like they did not understand what they do now. Right. And uh, even I was scared because I didn't know for sure, but I knew that we weren't even <laughs> having sex. So right. I know you can't get AIDS from, you know, walking around. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then I was just getting very frustrated. And finally my mom just asked, she goes, are you a homosexual? She asked you that. Point blank. And I felt all this, like all the times I had said that I would never say, that I wouldn't ask until... I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them unless they asked. You felt like you had to say something. I did. So yeah. I said, in like the bitchy, queeniest way, I said, do you really want to know the answer to that question, mother? <laughs> <laughs> At which point she knew. And she told me I was going to burn in hell. Seriously? Yep. Dad, what about dad? So I, we did not speak for months. You and mom? Yeah. So my, dad was not part of that call. Uh -huh. um, they sent me a letter talking about how hard it was for them. And I responded with a letter. We used to have these things called letters where you <laughs> write things. I don't know if y'all letters, y'all know letters? Pre-email. Um, Pre-email. And uh, I wrote them and I said, hard for you. Imagine how hard this is for me. Right. Like you think I, especially in the nineties and the, like, do you think I want a life as a gay person? Mm -hmm. As an actor, a gay actor. So you were ashamed of being gay, at least in the eyes of your parents, it or, yeah. or, or generally? Honestly, I think that moment changed a lot for me because I... That, that moment had to happen. It needed to happen. Yeah, yeah. But that was when the shame... Like, I don't remember, you know, I talk about this with my therapist a lot. We're mm -hmm. still digging. Like, when, when did this, like, shame about being gay happen? Mm -hmm. And... I think it could have been that moment. 
that was yeah. in the early nineties. Well, no, that was uh that was late. I was, I was 24. So 2000. 2000. So yeah, my, uh, we didn't, I, so I sent my rebuke, my mm-hmm. rebuke, my mm-hmm. letter. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I went, oh, they, they said, we'd like you to come home for Christmas. And I was like such a bitch. I came home. I dyed my hair bleach blonde. Mm-hmm. I got an earring. I still have the knot. I had that earring for like a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like walked in with like a black tank top, blonde hair and an earring. And I was like, I'm home. So <laughs> as, as, as much as they were angry initially Hi, and, and saying that you're going to get burned in hell, they're still at, over a period of time when in their in their healing process to, to the fact of having to accept that their son's gay, they're still inviting you to come home at yes. that time? Yes. And you went home like a little rebel. I went home like a rebel. And dad showed me these uh, pamphlets about HIV. Um, and I was not kind. I, which I didn't have to be. Right. I mean, I mean, I think what a child... they, were, they were showing you stuff you probably already knew. Like, yes, uh, you were yes. very aware of. Yeah. And yes. like, and talk about, I mean, I, of course I thought I was afraid I was going to get AIDS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, from almost the moment I started having sex, I mean, AIDS was killing. At that time it was yes, running rapid, especially the eighties, nineties. Yes. I mean, I, the nineties and in Mississippi where there was no like education about it, sure. you know, being gay was a sin. So of course we didn't talk about protection. I mean, it was like, you don't even have gay sex, much less wear a condom. Right, right. You just right. don't have gay sex. Actually, right. you don't have any sex back then. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I grew up in Utah. I understand. So it was, uh, yeah, it was tough. And, you know, then we put it in the very Southern way. Mm-hmm. We just brushed it under the rug. We didn't discuss it for a long time, 10 years. Wow. And then I got a boyfriend and I came home and I thought this, they'll be okay with it. We've been close. It's been 10 years. Hasn't been talked about in a while. I told them, I said, I have a boyfriend. Oh boy. It did not go well. I didn't think so. It ended up with me uh, actually was reading Breaking Dawn Mm -hmm. and I threw it at my mother. I threw it at her head. It missed. Thank God. I feel like I need to say now I have a great relationship with my mom. I was going to ask. I was going to ask <laughs> yeah. you how's your relationship with your mom now? It's amazing, and she's totally fine with you being gay. Yes, she's. She, that's that's what happens a lot. Yes, a yeah. lot of times I think uh, a mother or a father that would have completely been shut off to that or been prejudiced to to any kind of uh, you know se- yeah. se- like sexual preferences of certain people when it happens within the home and it's their own kid, and they have to come to that level of acceptance, then after a while, they, they become more open to it, and they, they realize, like, this is actually who my kid is. Yeah. Right? So yeah. what about dad? So dad, and, you know, we're good. I mean, it literally took me almost dying from addiction, I think, because I remember uh, we had our family therapy session, mm-hmm. and I told my therapist, I was like, I don't know. I don't think I can do this if my parents won't accept me because I have this memory and I've held, I held onto this, you know, we have a lot of, there are a lot of things we hold on to and we use over. And so I had this thing, this memory, talk about my sister, six years older than me. Mm -hmm. I remember being with that guy and it being this secret. And I was with other guys too. Are you talking about the man that groomed you? Yes. Yes. And My sister came home from college in the middle of the night. Mm. Her boyfriend had broken up with her. Mm. 
And I remember my sister getting into bed with my mom and mom holding her and letting her cry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I remember being in my room and going, I will never, ever, ever have that. Mom won't nurture you and love you like she does your sister no. because you're different. Yes. I can't even tell her I have a boyfriend, much less her hold me when we break up. Which now yeah. I'm going to cry. That boy, my boyfriend from college died a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. And the first person I called when my sponsor didn't answer was my mother. And I said, Scott's dead. And she goes, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. So I just I want to say how much things can change. Sure. So she, when I, she learned to have compassion for yeah. you too. Well, I told that story to her in my family session. Oh, you did that? Yes. Okay. So we're all there, mom and dad, okay. my therapist and me. I said, I remember this moment when you were da 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 mm -hmm. and, and my mom goes, I don't remember that at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if I can't, I was like, if I can't have that, I don't think I can stay clean, which is not true. You can stay clean no matter what. Right. But at the time, I thought if they didn't love and support me, I couldn't. Right. It's and, also it's, it's very psychological. And that moment, yeah, yeah. my mom and dad, I remember they like looked at each other. Yeah. And they just said, "We support you no matter what." Uh, dad did too. Boom, like that. Oh my god! And that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, as addicts and alcoholics, we build cases in our heads. Certain situations happen, or certain people, or certain ways as we're growing up, and we even if it may not always be true, and sometimes it is true, based off of things that people have said to us, it becomes like downloaded into our brain. So like we we think, you know, I just they they already have opinion an opinion about me. They don't love me, or they don't love me like they love my sister, or right. they give more love to my siblings than they do to me because of who I am, or or there's a taboo within the family because I'm an addict or right. an alcoholic. So I want to ask you, in in college you were experimenting with drugs and. And, uh, but, and you finally did finish school, correct? Yes. 2000. Okay. Yes. So my employer, if you're watching, yes, I do have a degree. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you finished school, but then you got into more drugs. Yeah. So when I moved to New York, mm -hmm. I very quickly, actually, that's not true. I have to back up. I was stuck in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm after a tour because i still have issues with money tour that tour an acting job acting job okay. i ended the tour i had no money i couldn't go anywhere so right. i stayed with that roommate mm -hmm. and uh i started going to the gay bars there and it was like nothing in oklahoma in omaha omaha nebraska nebraska so i had been to some bars in new orleans but mm -hmm. i something about these bars in in uh <laughs> nebraska nebraska were so fun and, uh, but what's wild, like, I remember uh, I met this guy and he introduced me to cocaine for the first time. Okay. And, and you were it, about how old, like uh, late twenties? So this would have been 2000. So I was 24. So it was so soon after coming out. Uh -huh. So there's all, so I have this like great shame okay. and then I'm introduced to cocaine. Right. That's my memoir from great shame to cocaine, to meth, <laughs> to meth. We gotta have meth in there. But it was like, all of a sudden it didn't matter that my mom told me I was going to burn in hell. It didn't matter that I'd been raped as a child. None of that mattered when I did cocaine for the first time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Alcohol, excess, none of that had done that for me before. But when I did that first line, it was like, you know, you hear Were you people, afraid? Afraid? When you saw the line it? in yeah. front of you. Yeah, was I hadn't, actually fear? hadn't thought about that in a long time. Yeah, I was afraid. But, but, the, but the guy, who, he's like, it'll be fine. And so I did it. And then the heavens opened up. And I was like, oh, it's like nothing matters it's all good i did cocaine first myself too um 
knowing damn well what they taught us in those health classes in high <laughs> school, they said you do one line of this and you can, you can become addicted almost immediately. Yeah. I mean, it's true. It's cocaine. It's a very addictive drug. I they, was addicted. It was <laughs> very addictive. And they, they used to put it in Coca-Cola way, way back in the day, yeah. right? Because they wanted people to buy more of it. And obviously, like FDA whatever stepped in and took it out. But regardless, I when I did it, it was ultimate euphoria. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this stuff to like promote or – make it so that people should go out and run out and try cocaine if you haven't tried it. Mm -hmm. But definitely I, I get that. Like I, I was like, I have arrived. Right. So I thought, so I thought, so and I thought. I saw, yes. now, another thing is this, when it comes to cocaine, it doesn't uh, for certain people, it works certain ways when it comes to sexual activity. Yes. Okay. Some people go limp biscuit, like straight up. They oh, just yeah. cannot get it up. Right. Yeah. Uh, with cocaine, did did it make you? Did your sex drive increase, or or decrease? Increase. Increased. Okay. And so, how long it, were you doing coke? I, well, so I well, what my store. So I started doing cocaine. I moved to New York, mm -hmm. and then I started to get involved with some guys who were shitty. Mm -hmm. Like my picker was so broken, there could be a room full of thirty great guys. Like I I had the story where I met this editor for Random House. Mm -hmm. I was waiting at tables and he was one of my customers. It's like a Sandra Bullock movie. Mm -hmm. He was my customer and he wrote his number on a <laughs> napkin and I called him. We went on a date. He had this beautiful loft in Union Square, mm -hmm. had this perfect dog, perfect body, perfect job. Who do I go with? The closeted straight guy who wouldn't tell anyone about us. And so, because with him, I could do Coke. Right. Because he had great shame. I had great shame. And we could be secret and shameful together. Uh -huh. So that, I would say, there was this 10 years of alcohol every day, cocaine on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And then it, you know, you know how it goes. It starts to creep. I'll do a little on Thursday. Right. Because there was this great party in New York called Pop Rocks on Thursday nights. It was so fun. Mm -hmm. So we start to, you know, add it on Thursdays. And then I couldn't go to work on Monday. So we had to have, have Coke on Monday too. Sure. So all of a sudden now I'm doing Coke Thursday through Monday. Mm -hmm. And you see how it goes. Oh, yeah. So I um, was very sexual for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then it got to a point where I could only perform the first few lines. And so why, I, why what happened? I didn't, I didn't, I want to touch anyone. I, I didn't, I didn't, I like, it was just like this. I couldn't, right. but I would always trick whoever I was using with, oh, this time it's going to be different. It's going to be different. We're going to do, it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. And then eventually uh, people didn't want to, oh, and they would give me drugs because right. I wasn't going to pay for them. Mm -hmm. So then it got to this point where, okay, I can't, that's not working anymore. Right. And that's when I moved out to LA and I got introduced. I'd done meth before, but when I got introduced to meth out here, okay. it's different. So so you hadn't even ever tried meth before you got to California? Twice. I did meth at Disney World mm -hmm. at the Golden Girls house. Like we were on a, we were on like, this is a crazy, I have a crazy life. Mm -hmm. I was on the bus, the tour bus at Disney World. Mm -hmm. And my friend goes, let's do something. I said, okay. How did you know? I mean, who had it? My friend had it. We were all had like all sorts of drugs. He was gay. Gay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I because there wasn't a lot of meth on the East Coast in in those. Well, I don't know what times this was, but I know like in the nineties, 
there wasn't a lot of meth on the East Coast unless you were gay. Yes, unless you were gay. Unless and, you were gay. And I had brought cocaine to that trip. Okay. But then he was like, let's do some meth. And I said, whatever, drugs are drugs. Mm -hmm. But it didn't like hook me. And I tried it one other time mm -hmm. and it didn't hook me. But when I came out here, it was like, it was over. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten to a point where I was very uncomfortable with like my body. And I was with, like I said, I was with these guys. Why is that? Did you suffer from body dysmorphia? Did you think you were fat? We're still trying to sort that out, me and my therapist. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I have body dysmorphic disorder. I think I have tendencies and characteristics. Okay. And so I, uh, and on cocaine, I did gain weight. I did get coke bloat. I had, I had the coke bloat. Mm -hmm. And uh, not with meth though, right? Oh no. I started doing meth. The weight dropped. Yep. You shed a lot of weight. Again, yeah. not something I'm, I'd like to promote, but yeah. I think one of the main reasons I ever first started doing meth when I was like 17, 18 was because I was doing a lot of steroids, mm -hmm. eating, smoking a lot of weed, eating a lot of food, getting a little overweight after my steroid runs. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to trim down and I saw everybody else was losing weight in my area that was using meth. Yeah. And that's, it did the job. Yeah, it did. It did the job for me. And it also aroused me again. And, oh, uh, did you know it was going to arouse no, you? I did not. Okay, because it, it's didn't. it's huge in the gay community. Yes, it's huge. It's I mean, huge. It's 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 a it's a scourge on the gay community. Sure, sure. And I would say, uh, I mean, to the point, even like we're on grinder apps. A lot of times, from what I understand and what I've heard or learned, is that um, there's certain terminology that they use amongst each other. People use amongst each other to basically say, "Let's get together." do meth and have sex. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, that's how I would, you know, find people. Mm -hmm. And even when I was, so I was using meth out here and I had this great job at this wonderful restaurant and I was making the best money I've ever made at this mm -hmm. restaurant. Right. You can make a lot of re money in restaurants out here, y'all, or you used to be able to, I don't know right. about COVID days, but, yeah. uh, and I just couldn't hold on to it. Right. I mean, the drugs, it became everything. And so I ended up, Without an, I ended up homeless. I lost my job. I had already planned to move out of my apartment, but then I couldn't pay for my deposit on my new apartment. Mm -hmm. I lived paycheck to paycheck, similarly to today. <laughs> so I probably should start saving money. Mm -hmm. I, when I lost that job, it was over. So I not only used Grinder for sex and drugs, I was using it for places to stay. Oh, to have somebody that would actually take you into their home? Yes. Sometimes for short periods of times or sometimes even longer. I used four to seven days. <laughs> and then like near the end, it was like nine or ten, nine days. This is the most I ever stayed up. But, and then I see people on the street, you know, just like walking around. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was me. I did not understand I was even homeless because I have my car. So I thought well, I have a car. I'm not homeless. Yeah. You're a different kind of homeless. But I was. I yeah. was still homeless. You didn't have a home home. Your yeah. car was your home. Yeah. So, or these grinder houses, as I call them. Grinder houses were my home. Right. Okay. So, uh, and that was what, uh, six, seven years ago? Seven years ago, 2013. 2013. And yeah. your, your dream of being an actor and coming out here seemed like oh. it was not taking fruition. Like, there's a lot of people that come to LA with the hopes and dreams of becoming an actor or actress. And, and then, you know, when it's, they realize how hard it is or you can't get that part or you don't have the agent that will get you the part or whatnot, then, you know, you kind of feel down on yourself and then you start getting fucked up. Yeah. But, I had a lot of luck. Like, I think people really wanted 
like I didn't try that hard. There was a period where I was a successful, where I was a professional actor, like full-time professional actor. Mm -hmm. By the time I moved out here, I had started to lose jobs. Like my, in New York, I would get fired for not showing up mm -hmm. and not acting jobs, restaurant jobs. And right. then I'd stop auditioning. Like I had two big callbacks for Broadway shows. And on my last callback for one, I just blew it because I was out all night doing drugs. Mm -hmm. And then the next one, like I didn't even get like past the first couple of auditions. And then I came out here and I really wanted to do better. So I tried in the beginning to only drink. Right. I was like, I'll just drink. And uh, all I, and I drink lightly mm -hmm. for an, for an alcoholic, <laughs> for an addict, I drink lightly. Right. I drank uh, like two to four drinks a day. <laughs> I guess normal people are like, what? But, um, and then that night I decided, I was like, I want to get laid. And that's when I found the guy. He said, I was like, I want some Coke. He goes, I don't have Coke, but I have meth. And I said, okay, that'll do. And so I was kind of pursuing acting work. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, when I was in New York and I started to get no's, because there's a lot of no's. Right. And I had a lot of success. Not fame, or, but I had a lot of consistent work as an actor. Mm -hmm. But when I started to get rejections mm -hmm. and I had already not thought well of myself, right. it started to eat at me terribly, sure. terribly. Because there's a lot of rejection. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of rejection. Yeah. Okay. So did you ever get any parts when you lived out here in LA? I did one web series and it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I would say that I actually had myself together mm -hmm. during that time. It's called Office Problems. You can find it on YouTube. Okay. Um, it's I did two episodes of that, and they're good. And you were in your late thirties at that time. I was thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Okay. Look, twenty-four though. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. That's is that that well, you weren't doing meth yet, right? I don't think so. Not regular. That was when I was drinking. I was maintaining with alcohol. With alcohol. <laughs> okay. So when did it become a problem for you? Like, first of all, why? I mean, I already know why myself, yeah. but I do want you to just answer the question. Why is meth so big in the gay community? What is it about that particular drug? Because you don't see like a lot of gays on heroin. Except, well, they, actually, I do. Occasionally. I do in treatment because yeah. I the, the younger crowd yeah. is experimenting with polysubstance. They're doing all kinds of different things. But, but meth is huge. When I was selling meth, my greatest customers were gay. Oh, yeah. They would come a lot. And I was like, I love you guys. Yeah. I'm making money here. You know, I think that's such an interesting question. And I know I've thought about this before. I think that for one thing, like, I remember I went to this underwear party. Mm -hmm. The gay gay culture, you know, is like, you have to. And I think it's getting better. Mm -hmm. But particularly this, like, white, gay, cis man there's this image of that person. Mm -hmm. Like even on my Instagram, I can be on my Instagram and not even go near a shirtless picture. Mm -hmm. And my suggestions are all that guy. Right. And so I think that when I went to this, so I, got, I was going to go to this underwear party and before meth, Coke did for me what meth did. Right. And so I remember, not I, get that. I didn't give a shit what I looked like in mm -hmm. my underwear. Right. Meth is like 10 times not giving a shit, right? Right. Then there's 
what the AIDS epidemic did to us in a way. So we were at this, and I'm, I'm, I'm younger than that exact generation, mm-hmm. but like, again, I was in Mississippi, so we were behind. So it was like, you know, sexual liberation. It's okay to be gay. Yet there was this thing that was killing us by expressing our sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, this fear of HIV, I was so afraid of HIV when I moved to New York. Right. But cocaine and meth, it didn't matter. And then there's like, there's a myth, I think. We talk about this at Breathe. Male, male are chemsex therapists, and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that gay men in particular are these like sexually overt. And a lot of the guys we see, what they want is not that. Mm. But meth puts you in a place where you fulfill that myth, if that makes sense. That makes sense. So it's like, um, so me, like meth, if I didn't want to be sexual, I felt like I was supposed to be because gay men are supposed to be sexual. Mm-hmm. So when I do meth, I'm hypersexual. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's just the fact that it's like so addictive. <laughs> it's it's probably so one of the fun. best descriptions I've ever heard of in relation to that. I'm glad. It's really good. I mean, it's it runs rampant. So when you say that you feel like the, the community is getting better, why? Is it because there's more awareness or uh, people are realizing certain things about uh, the usage of it? I mean, I think perhaps, from what I've heard, um, a lot of people misuse it and do things that are, um, you know, they, they take advantage of people because they drug them or they give them certain types of drugs like GHB and meth to be able to get what they want. Yes, that is that happens. Yeah. Yeah, and talk about shame. Like meth makes you do crazy shit. And I'm so glad that I had a sponsor mm-hmm. and therapist who helped me see that. Mm-hmm. Because part of the reason that relapse is so high in meth community is that you're not only having to deal with the trauma of what happened before meth. Yes. You have to deal with the trauma from what you did on meth. Sure, new trauma that's occurring. You know, new trauma. And so like... Um, Oh, I lost sight of what you asked me. <laughs> I lost sight of what you asked me. Why is the community starting to improve? So I think, well, for one thing, I think that we're starting to realize that there is a whole talk about the alphabet. Mm-hmm. The rainbow community is so much more than that. Right. And so once we see that we are a whole spectrum of people, mm-hmm. then we don't have to be that thing. I think as it becomes more, you know, we become more supportive of queer people. Mm-hmm. That's why allies are like you are so important that you have so many queer people on your show. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, bye. <laughs> that was like five minutes ago. Yeah. Um, like that's really important because then the, the shame, like, but you never know. Like, I mean, I have friends who came from like liberal her, their parents would like love a gay child and they still were closeted and addicted to meth. So you never even know. Interesting. Did you ever experience psychosis, amphetamine induced psychosis? <laughs> so near the end, I was always the guy who wanted to have sex and ended up with the guy who promised sex 
and was always peeking in the blinds. Or I, I had this one guy I used with, talk about insanity. I can't believe I'm talking about all this. <laughs> I had this one guy, he would be like, yeah, every every time I'd be out, now, you know what I want. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I walk in, he'd ripped up all the carpet. He goes, I got to get rid of the bugs. Yeah. I, gotta get, I was like, no, not again. Right. So I didn't experience psychosis for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then one of the, when I stayed up for about nine days, I... Uh, I had gotten kicked out of the place I was staying. And I remember I was so messed up. Like I didn't even have my clothes, but I somehow had my pillow. So I like got a hotel room and made a pillow. I made a shirt out of a pillowcase. Yeah. Talk about how thin I was. I could wear a pillowcase. That's how thin I was. Jeez. And uh, I, I don't think I slept still, even though I had a hotel room. Mm -hmm. And I somehow lost my car and was wandering the streets. Redondo Beach, Torrance, somewhere down there. And I remember the moment where I was like, I'm going into psychosis. Like there's, there was like this moment. You where knew like, it. Yes, I knew. I was like, this is not real. This is not real. Cause I was like, the world is closing in on me. I was like, Brian, this isn't real. This isn't real. And I was gone. And I remember I went into this laundromat and asked this woman for some water and she handed it to me. And then I thought she was drugging me. So I poured it on her. I went outside and I ran up to this woman in a Mercedes, which none of this could, I mean, half of this could be false. Like, what happen? So, but I do know I got picked up and sent to a little company of Mary in Torrance, where I spent a night in leather straps on a bed in the ER. Picked up by what, the cat unit or by what was I just remember a bunch of guys holding me down. And they even told me when I came out of psychosis, she was like, we've never had anyone. It was so hard to like get in an ambulance. <laughs> I was like, I had that super meth strength. Right. But uh, so that was the time I was in psychosis. The only time I was full in full psychosis, I think. Yeah. What was your crisis? Why did you get help? Why did you go seek yeah. sobriety? So I uh, left LA, which uh, broke my heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like the dream, I, it broke my heart. So after that instance, I called mom and dad and I told them I had a nervous breakdown, mm -hmm. which I thought happened. I didn't, so I have one, I've only, I've never relapsed. I've been clean once, but I did not understand that I was an addict. Right. So, you know, we see people who go in and out of treatment over and over. I did not think I was an addict. I thought I chose that life. I thought I chose to use drugs. Mm -hmm. And that, that was my choice. And so 15 years of using, I left LA, went back to Mississippi, moved in with mom and dad at 38 years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you couldn't hide it. I couldn't hide it anymore. And they were so confused. And I was confused because I didn't think I was an addict. Right. And then uh, I went on, I ran my car into a tree, um, somehow... No, all I had was like a burn from my seatbelt and uh, went on one more run. And I remember I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and like I threatened to kill a guy and they like threw me out of the hotel. And I went to some other person's house and slept. And I woke up that morning and I was like, they offered me, they were like, do you want some meth? I said, no, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. I'd never said no, ever. Right. Ever. This is huge. And I was like, whoa, that feels weird. Mm -hmm. To and deny so, it. So I got into the car and I drove close to my parents' house 
Because I knew if I walked in that door, they weren't going to let me stay. Right. So I pulled over into a parking lot and I went and got, um, I hadn't eaten in like a week. I remember I got some Taco Bell, some Johnny Walker Red, and a bottle of Pinot Noir. <laughs> and I sat in this parking lot of Kroger and this liquor store. And I remember I poured the wine into my Taco Bell cup and I started drinking. And I just had this moment. And I, I remember so vividly my hands opening up and going, holy shit, I'm an addict. 15 years, I really did not know. Now you admitted it. I admitted it. And so I reached out to the one person I thought might be able to help me because I remember her saying she knew someone who was a therapist. Mm -hmm. She took me in. We reached out to mom and dad, told her, you know, I said, I have, I told mom, I said, I have a drug problem. Right. Mom's first response, what drug? So my mother, and I was like, I'm not telling. I said, don't ask that again. Then Tara, my friend goes, your mom's asking me what drug. I was like, so I went to, I went to my friend Tara's house and she took me to her friend's house. Um, And I did have a moment where I was like, there's this reading in NA, we do recover where it talks about, you know, at the end of the road, you you find that you're, you're either going to go this way or that way. And I did have a moment where I said, I could live under a bridge and sell my body. Mm. And I said, no, nah, that's not going to work. So I took the other path. I reached out to my friend Tara. And uh, she introduced me to her therapist friend. I said, I need therapy. I need some help. And she goes, honey, I'm going to shoot it to you straight. You need more than therapy. You are literally about to die. Mm. And somehow I believed her. I said, all right, fine. What do I do? And I, you know, they're like, you need to go to treatment. You better not, I just said, don't, don't use anymore. I said, excuse me? What about alcohol? It's better not that you don't do anything. Mm -hmm. I said, no. And so I ended up, uh, my friend Tara, we got a four pack of hard cider and I had a bottle of Ativan. Of course, I hated Ativan. So of course I had like 10. Right. But it was like, I, I drank two hard ciders and I took an Ativan. I went to bed and I woke up clean, went to treatment that day. And where'd you go to treatment at? In Oxford, Mississippi. I went to a place called the Haven House. Okay. And you stayed there how long? So I stayed there. So originally I was like, I can't drink when I get out. They're like, well, you can't drink while you're here. 28 days. I said, well, then I'll, 28 days. That's all I'm doing. And then uh, they wanted me to go into transition. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it's a little different. It's a lot different than treatment out here. Like, um, I guess it's kind of similar to like medical treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, you know, you did vo- you did your primary treatment and then you did secondary treatment through Voc Rehab. Mm-hmm. So basically, I my treatment was paid for by Voc Rehab and I had little jobs. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm not doing that. No. And then a week before, I was like, can I please do it? And so then I did phase one and I was like, I'm not doing phase two. And they're like, and then they're like, okay, Brian, okay. They were used to me by then. And then, and then I'm like, I need to remember this when I deal with clients because I forget what I was like. And then I said, can I please stay a little longer? And so I'd been there three months, October, November, December, January, three and a half months. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Miss Terry, who I love, she called me in. She goes, Brian, you know, you have this lovely relationship with your parents today. I said, yes, I do. Yes, ma'am, I do. She goes, it might be time for you to go home. Mm. <laughs> I said, Are you kicking me out? She goes, well, there are people who need this more and you're, it's time for you to go. And she was right. 
And so I, I was there three and a half months in treatment. Yeah. And then after that, obviously you've taken it serious because you haven't relapsed. Yeah. I, I was like full, I did everything they said. Mm -hmm. Like literally Miss Terry used to say, Brian. Well, you were also in what, in your forties too? 38, 38. 38. And uh, I, the, the, the thing that hooked me in was honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. Right. That was it. Like, because I, I was very honest about thinking I could drink. Mm -hmm. where all, a lot of the people I was in treatment with lied mm -hmm. and said they didn't want to drink, but they, yes. they wanted to drink. And so I was the one who raised my hand in group and said, I'm sorry. I think I should be able to drink when I leave. Right. And so I think that saved my life. Because you were honest. About I was honest it. about yeah. it. And that allowed me, like, I remember I was doing meds um, or getting meds. And I asked my friend, I said, uh, is it true? I can't drink. And <laughs> she told me the story of how, she thought she could have a glass of wine with a steak. Two weeks later, she's cooking meth. A week later, she was arrested and on drug court. Wow. And so I don't think without my honesty would I have gotten that message. And it was the, the open-mindedness and willingness. So I just did whatever they told me to do. I really did, except for, and I think about this all the time, I would not do aftercare. I would not do, I would not do it. I went once and I said, this isn't for me. And I ended up just doing therapy for nine months. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and 12 step, you know, I love NA is like saved my life. I mean, I love it. I'm still very active, very active. I I'm of service. I go to meetings regularly, not as many as I should, but regularly. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that the 12 steps are just like the best thing that ever happened to me. I love it. So you moved to California, uh, again, both to pursue acting, but also to work okay. in treatment. Yes. So I swore, like all my friends were getting treatment jobs. I said, I will not, will not work in treatment. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, working as, uh, I had a job in a hospital, which I loved. And then I got a really well-paying job at a financial firm. It was so much pressure. I had six months clean when I started it. Right. And then I took a less paying job with less stress that I just was miserable in. Mm -hmm. And I was going to, I was like, all right, I have a 10 year plan. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to save this money and I'm going to move back to Los Angeles. 10 years. Right. Well, I got fired. And uh, our top client was the owner of Oxford Treatment Center in Oxford, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to him. I said, um, so I just got to let go. He goes, I know. <laughs> I said, do you have any jobs at the treatment center? <laughs> he said, no, but maybe one day. So I started waiting tables again and, you know, 38, I was 39 then my legs, they weren't <laughs> what they were in my twenties. Right. And, uh, they opened, they had this position literally like, I was like, I can't wait tables anymore. This isn't working. I opened my computer and there was this community relations job mm -hmm. and it was everything I was good at working with the university, doing the, all these things that were just like running LGBTQ groups non-clinical groups, support groups, self-support groups. Mm -hmm. And so I started working there. I was there two and a half years and the LA plan wasn't working. And then out of nowhere, I literally asked the universe, I said, I want to go back to LA, to LA. And then I had you know, this, I've left that job. So it's okay now, but I had an indeed alert set up for Los Angeles. Right. And all of a sudden it popped up that they were hiring an LA rep. Right. I said, Oh my God. And, you know, Ken Seeley was instrumental in me moving because I had met him at a conference 
And I said, I, I, I need some guidance. And he and Eric were both like, well, why don't you just transfer within your company? They have a treatment center out there. Okay. And I said, okay. And so when that Indeed job alert popped up, I heard them in my head. I called the director of business development. I had the job in like a few weeks and I moved like a month and a half later. Back to LA. Back to LA. So I did that job for a year and then I got recruited by the place I'm at now. And the place you are at now is? Breathe. And what do Breathe Life Healing Centers. And they specialize in? Trauma. Trauma. And this is going to sound familiar. Trauma as it relates to substance abuse and eating disorders and mental health and, you know, LGBTQ focused. Focused. Yeah. So what does that sound like? Everything we've been talking about for the past hour. That's right. That's so right. it's like, I loved the Haven House and I'm so grateful for them. The Haven House in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. But Breathe is where, like, I'm the perfect client for, for Breathe. Love it. And so today I get to talk to mothers of me mm -hmm. and husbands of me and me. And it's like this incredible thing. I think it's very powerful. Yeah. I now, yeah, I want to be a movie star. So any directors, y'all just call me. But uh, <laughs> Breathe and I, will figure that out. We'll figure out how I'm going to be a movie star and work at Breathe. But uh, yeah, it's a gift. My life is just a gift. I love it. Love it, love it. And this is what I was looking forward to having you on here to tell us all of it, all of it, and, and to get into where you are now. Now, if people are interested in finding out more about you or seeing you in, in social media, you have a TikTok presence, which we're on TikTok right Hi, now. TikTok. <laughs> what is your TikTok name? My TikTok name is Brian.wiz. Okay. Brian.wiz. Very easy. And then what about your uh, Instagram you spoke of? Oh, my Instagrams. I've tried to change it to Brian.wiz, but my Instagram is at Mr. Brian Wizenant. Okay. I thought that was a great idea until now. I'm like, no one can find it. But uh, yeah, Instagram is Mr. Brian Wizenant. And I have a website too, which is brianwizenant.com. Hmm. Yeah, I write about, I do essays on all sorts of things, but I write about movies and, you know, my, my film and TV film and TV, film projects that I'm doing, even though I did some television yesterday that I'm not allowed to talk about. But uh, <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, we'll, we won't confirm or deny, but it will be airing. Sometime. There's an air date on January 3rd. The price is right, and that's all I can say. Okay, good. Y'all don't ask me that anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where to reach me. TikTok, my website. Awesome. Yeah. What a, what a joy it was to have you on here today. I know that you help a lot of people. I want you to to know that like I value our friendship and keep on doing what you're doing. And uh, it's been nice to have you on the corner. I love, nice. I love you very much. It's nice to be on the corner. <laughs> this is a nicer corner than I'm used to. We're going to sign off. I'm going away for a week. I'll be back again next Tuesday with another guest on Peggy's Recovery Corner. I hope you all have a good rest of your day. And thank you, Brian. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.